Well, brothers and sisters, I invite you to turn in your Bibles this morning to the book of Matthew. Once again, we will be in Matthew chapter 5 this morning. And yet again, we will be preaching from one verse of Matthew chapter 5. That's verse 5. I invite you to stand for the reading of God's word. Matthew chapter 5, verse 5. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Amen. Let's pray together. Lord, would you bless the preaching of this word? We ask that as we seek to understand what it is uh, that you give great approval of and blessing over, that you might grow us in this quality of meekness, pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. Well, if you are just joining us or visiting this morning, over the past few weeks we have begun to look at this section of Jesus' teaching where Jesus describes the blessed life. We might call it the happy life. And to put it very simply, and to sum up this whole section, sometimes called the Beatitudes, a happy life is life in the kingdom of heaven. This is the central happiness that Jesus provides to his people twice in these Beatitudes, at the beginning and then at the end. He grants to them the kingdom of heaven. That is the great gift that he gives to his people. And with each of these Beatitudes... Jesus is beginning to fill out, picture by picture, piece by piece, what his people look like. What are the attributes of his people, those who receive this kingdom of heaven? We have talked about the fact that these are not distinct groups of people, but rather we should see all of us, we should see ourselves in this list of attributes, in this growing picture of what the Christian life looks like. But as we've considered these attributes over the past few weeks, you might, beginning, you might be beginning to think, you know, this is not a very inspiring group of people. <laughs> have you had that thought as you have reflected on this? We started two weeks ago with the poor in spirit. And then last week we moved to the mourners, the sad. And then this week we're considering the meek. Blessed are the meek. This may not look like, at first glance, a party that you want to attend. No one wants to go to a party full of mourners or those that we might describe as the poor in spirit. It's not intuitive to us. Who wants to be part of this club? Well, as we come to the meek, you might have a building sense of this. What, are, what is this group of people? Why is it in so many ways so unimpressive? Well, I think as we consider the, we, the meek, our modern dictionary doesn't do us any favors. If you look at a, a dictionary definition of meekness in the modern dictionary, like I did this week, you will find, you'll find definitions like easily imposed upon. That's what the world sees the meek as. They're easily imposed upon. We might say they're compliant. Another dictionary said soft. You know, meek people are soft. Well, that's not very impressive. Is this 
an accurate description of who we're to be, soft people, compliant, easily pushed over, spineless? Well, this is an important question to ask, and we have to consider it as we open this passage. What is it that Christ is commending to us in this quality of meekness? So, we have some things to consider, and I propose we do so in three parts. I have three questions, and I'll take them one at a time, and hopefully they will open up this text as we consider this quality of meekness. First question is, what does Jesus mean by meekness? Another way we can ask this question, though, is what does the Bible mean by meekness? All of the scriptures are the word of Christ, and so what Jesus means matches what the Bible means when we consider meekness. And perhaps the best place to start is to consider a biblical example. Actually, there's a very prominent Old Testament example that we are given in Numbers chapter 12 of Actually, one of the Old Testament's most important characters. There's a little character reference in Numbers chapter 12, verse 3. For this man we know of as Moses. Numbers chapter 12, verse 3. Now the man, Moses, was very meek. More than all people who were on the face of the earth. Now, immediately, just by considering Moses as, as the most meek man, the Bible says we're starting to exclude some modern definitions of meekness. Because whatever we know about Moses, whatever we can say about him, we can most certainly say he was not a soft man, or a compliant man, or a pushover, or somehow spineless. Moses was the leader of God's people in the Old Testament, and in many respects, the greatest leader of the Old Testament. When Jesus is promised in Deuteronomy chapter 18, he will be a leader like Moses. And so Moses, well, he, he had the chutzpah, as my mother who used to say. He had the chutzpah to oppose Pharaoh to his face in order to free the people of Israel. He was a warrior. He at one point killed an Egyptian for abusing a fellow Israelite. He led the people in battle in various ways. For instance, against the Amalekites. He had the unenviable task of leading a rather unruly and dissatisfied and discontented people of God through the wilderness and interceding on their behalf before the Lord when he determined to destroy them. These are all very brave and stout-hearted things that we can observe in the character of Moses. And so whatever it is that we understand meekness to be, it must somehow be compatible with those qualities, with being courageous and stout-hearted as Moses was. It's helpful, I think, for us to consider actually the context of Numbers chapter 12. The context of why God calls Moses the meekest man in the world. If you have your Bibles, you could turn to Numbers chapter 12 and you could glance over the story or the the account there in Numbers 12. You'll remember that in Numbers 12, we encounter this family fight that takes place in Moses' family, between Moses and his brother and sister. Now, kids, I know that you never fight with your brother or sister, because you are Christian children, aren't you? No, of course you fight. But if you do, just know that's not something that just happens in your house. It happens in all sorts of houses, and it happens in houses in the Bible. 
to the Bible, even with this very important family. And just like your fights, this fight that we encounter in Numbers chapter 12, well, it's, it's a fight over dumb stuff, rather dumb stuff. Turns out Aaron and Miriam, those are Moses' brother and sister, they don't like Moses' wife. Now, that's a rather terrible thing to have happen in a family when someone you love marries someone and you don't like them. And they decide they don't like Moses' wife. They also decide that they think, why shouldn't Moses be in charge? Why shouldn't we sort of be a royal family that shares, shares control over Israel? And so they begin to kind of argue with, with Moses there in Numbers chapter 12, and they begin to accuse him and undermine his leadership with the people. And it's very notable that when Moses encounters this kind of accusation, he does, well, he does nothing. He endures it. He doesn't, as he could have, punish his siblings. No, he endures it. That's the context in which he is called a meek man. He endures the evil that he's faced with. Or rather, to put it another way, he, he relies not upon his own response to the situation, but upon the Lord. You see, it's God who, in Numbers chapter 12, we're told, hears what Aaron and Miriam have been grumbling and complaining against Moses. And it's God who calls them out. And it's God who eventually punishes them and reestablishes order and the leadership of the people of God. Now, I think this is part of what we understand to be meekness. The ability to endure patiently under even very wicked persecutions and oppositions, those coming against us with wicked intentions. Kids, I'll, I'll ask you, you know, when you fight with your brother or sister, I know it doesn't happen, but when you do, if your brother hits you or steals your toy or does some other mean thing, do you typically respond by being so very patient, just enduring it? Don't say yes. Your parents are here. They will know. They can attest to your character on this front. No. You, what's the most natural thing in the world when someone comes against you in some sort of mean way? Well, you lash out against them. You burn with this sense of justice and anger and revenge. And that is the way of the world. When someone comes against you in anger, what do you, what do, you do in response? Well, you meet anger with anger, flame with flame, blow with blow. That is the most innate and just universal human response. We don't even need to teach our children to do this. They come out and... They're barely toddling around, and they know when their toy is stolen, they're going to ball a fist and throw it. <laughs> That's the way we are, naturally. Meekness is, well, it's not the way we are, naturally. Moses, he doesn't hit back. He doesn't respond in anger. He doesn't punish. And this is what God commends as Moses' meekness. We could turn to another passage of the Old Testament that's very relevant, actually, to our understanding of what Jesus is saying in Matthew 5. Turn to 
Psalm 37. Jesus actually seems to be quoting directly from Psalm 37 in this beatitude. In Psalm 37, the larger context of Psalm 37 is the righteous sort of being faced with the wickedness of evil men. And the psalm begins in verse 1 of Psalm 37. The psalm is saying, fret not yourself because of evildoers. And the psalmist goes on to describe the various ways that we should keep ourselves from fretting, worrying, sort of being made anxious by wickedness. This is actually a major theme in this psalm. A few verses later, Psalm 37, verse 8, refrain from anger and forsake wrath. Fret not yourself. It tends only to evil. You hear there the same idea presented in the scriptures that in the face of wickedness, even very angering wickedness, wickedness that would tempt us to a type of fretful anger of our own, the psalmist says, do not do it. Do not do it. For he says, verse 9, the evildoers shall be cut off. And then we have in verse 11, Basically, the very same thing that Jesus has said here in Matthew 5. Verse 11, the meek shall inherit the land. The meek shall inherit the land. So again, we have this pattern. A meek man does not react in anger, in fury, in wrath, the face of evil. No, he endures it patiently. He endures it patiently. He trusts in the Lord who will sort out the situation. Now, let me just say, that is not, well, that's not a weak or a soft response. I think sometimes we think of meekness as being weakness. It's not like the righteous are a bunch of weaklings, can't stand up for themselves. No, I'd submit to you that actually the response of meekness in the face of wicked provocation is actually a much more difficult thing to, to do. It's a much more courageous thing to do. Again, we, we so innately want to react in anger, partly out of self-defense. We want to go back on the attack. But it actually takes a tremendous amount of courage and self-control and self-restraint to keep and control that passion of our flesh in check. It's not weakness, it's, it's actually great strength. It's fortitude. And the key to meekness is not that we're just letting things go, that we're just sort of bending over for wickedness to take place. The key here is that, well, it's the Lord who is going to sort this out. It's the Lord who's going to sort this out. He is the one who will judge the wicked. There's actually something of a great peace and a great freedom that we have in being called to be meek. We don't have to run around sorting out every little bit of wickedness that we happen to see in the world around us. We can actually be at great peace internally. We do not need to be angry and consistently furious or parading it before our eyes in order to stoke some kind of fury. Because the Lord will sort it out. He is our judge. He is the one who will sort out Aaron and Miriam. He is the one who will cut off the evildoer. It's a great freedom that we have. 
and being called to meekness, graciously responding to wickedness. You know, one way that we can understand this quality of meekness is actually one of the ways that your Bible consistently will translate that word meekness. Bible translators will translate that Greek word praus oftentimes as gentleness. Gentleness is a kind of a synonym for weakness, or for meekness, rather. So, for instance, when Paul in Galatians chapter 5 is listing the fruits of the Spirit, and one of the fruits of the Spirit there is gentleness, Paul is describing the same thing as Jesus is describing in Matthew chapter 5. Meekness and gentleness. The same word, praus. Paul in Timothy, 2 Timothy chapter 2, when he's pulling, well, he, he really pulls together our working definition of what meekness is. He's there in 2 Timothy chapter 2 describing the qualities of leaders. So he's not describing here pushovers or weak men. He's describing those who are to lead God's people. And he says there, in 2 Timothy chapter 2, that they are to, quote, patiently endure evil correcting their opponents with gentleness. There's that word again. Correcting their opponents with meekness. Meekness, according to Paul, is patiently enduring evil. Not repaying it with evil. Not repaying it with anger. But correcting it gently. So to say this again, Gentleness or meekness, it isn't weakness. That would be the wrong way of thinking of this. When you see a father, you see a dad, big and strong, you know, big muscles, you know, a formidable man. And you see him get on the ground and take his two-year-old son and wrestle with him, play with him. And you see him Take his great strength and reduce that to great gentleness. And being careful not to hurt or destroy that son, even as he treats him in love and grows him up. We don't say of that man, oh, he's a weak man. We say he's a gentle man. That's how we should think of meekness, as sort of moderating and measuring our strength towards others. Scriptures commend this to us, this meekness. Christ blesses the meek. Secondly, I want to ask the question, how are we called to model meekness? Matthew Henry, whose commentary on the entire Bible has blessed many Christians throughout many hundreds of years, He saw the virtue of meekness as so critical to the life of the believer that he wrote actually a whole book on the subject. You can find it, find PDFs of this online. It's a short book on meekness and what he calls quietness of life. And I commend it to you. He identifies two ways that we are called to be meek. He says we are to be meek before God and before each other. 
We're to be meek, first of all, towards God. We're to be meek towards each other. We're to be meek before the Lord. The the verse that really captures this sense is found in James chapter 1, verse 21, where James says, Receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. James uses that word meekness to describe our relationship to God's word. Now, our relationship to God's word is oftentimes a very, well, it's not always a peaceful relationship. When we read God's word and we see, for instance, our sin and the prohibitions that it includes in the law and various aspects of it, well, there's a way in which we can come to have kind of a very tempestuous relationship to God's word. We can have a rebellious attitude towards it. We can think it's a little bit demanding. We can start to wonder if its expectations of us are really all that reasonable. This is something that even Christians can fall into. A type of kind of rising, rising unease with God's word. And James commends to us the opposite of this. He says you're to receive God's word gently. Now, I think the picture here that other ministers, or at least in my experience, have used of the type of meek receiving God's word is one that's been helpful to me is, you know, you think of, think of a horse. Kids, I know some of you little girls, especially you love horses. The Gallagher family has gotten to ride horses uh, recently. That was great fun. Horses are wonderful creatures. Wonderful creatures, partly because they're just so immense and strong. I mean, if you ever sat, stood next to, like, even a really, you know, average-sized horse, they're just much larger than you. They're just one giant muscle in so many ways. It's the reason we can hop on their backs and they can go miles and not even be, not even be tired after it. And you think about the way in which a well-trained horse with its master, to just the, the slightest touch of the rein or slightest movement on the back will suddenly respond and go that direction. That is a picture of what we are before the the word of God. Gentle response to what God says. Not rebellion, not fighting it, but gentleness in the face of God's word. Matthew Henry describes another kind of meekness. Meekness before God's Providence. You know, we're called to submit to God's word. We're also called to submit to difficult things in the Christian life. We've had many opportunities as a congregation to think upon God's providence and the fact that we as Christians aren't immune to being asked to suffer hard things. And that God doesn't do this to punish us. He doesn't do it in order to just break us down and destroy us. No, he does so out of the infinity of his wisdom. And we are called to meekly endure it. Meekly endure it. This is a challenging thing. When sad and hard things fall on us. The question is, are we meek before the Lord in the face of hard things? Matthew Henry There's a beautiful quote here, and I'll read you the entirety of it. He says, when the methods of providence 
are dark and intricate. And we are quite at loss about what God is about to do with us. His way is in the sea, his path in the great waters, and his footsteps are not known. Clouds and darkness are round about him. A meek and quiet spirit in that state acquiesces in an assurance that all things work together for good to us. If we love God, though we cannot apprehend how or which way. He goes on. It teaches us to follow God with an implicit faith, as Abraham did when he went out, not knowing whither he went, but knowing very well whom he followed. It quiets us with this, that though what he doeth we know not now, yet we shall know hereafter. Matthew Henry's He's pointing out the fact that God's providence is so often dark and mysterious. We don't get to see into it and the things that are happening to us. Can't always peer into their purpose. But he says we know who it is we worship. We know his goodness. We know who he is. So therefore we are to receive it meekness secondly we're to walk in meekness towards each other not just towards the Lord but to each other Paul says in Ephesians chapter 4 I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called with all humility and meekness meekness I think there are a myriad of applications that we could think about, ways in which we need to grow in meekness. I will just point out to you who are in leadership positions, Paul and Jesus and scriptures seem to think that the quality of meekness is especially important for those of us who lead, those of us who lead our families, those of us who have leadership positions in work or what have you, that we need to have this quality of gentleness formed in us. And I think it's, it's worth reflecting on. It's worth reflecting on in a day in which, well, the question of leadership is a really fraught one. People don't know what to think about leadership. And they certainly don't know what to think about, for instance, the role of men. They're all confused and turned around on gender and what godly manhood looks like. And so they will oftentimes just sort of you know, do away with the traditional understanding of, of men in leadership in their homes and that sort of thing. And in the midst of that confusion, oftentimes Christians, I think, can be guilty of overreacting in the opposite direction. You know, we need, to, we need to be men. We need to be macho and strong, preserve order. We need to rule our families. And that's wonderful and true and as far as it goes. But we as men, we need to cultivate gentleness. It's really critical really critical that we, with our children, learn how to be gentle, learn how to be merciful, for instance. It is good to have order and structure and the law of God being lived out in your home, but it is not unlike God to be merciful to your children, to be gentle with them. It's an important reminder for us. It's also an important reminder that we are to be 
We're to be meek towards the world as well. The Bible tells us we're to be meek towards the world. Listen to the way that Paul describes it. Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12, verse 19. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. And this is the critical verse here, verse 21. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. This is the great program, brothers and sisters, that God has given for us to have settled deep in our hearts as we look out at a wicked world full of enemies. There's so much wickedness in the world. I don't have to tell you this. There's wickedness in the world. We have enemies. We have people who are after destroying our way of life and our beliefs. And we do need to ask ourselves how it is that we respond to this. How it is, what would the Bible have us do in, in the face of that kind of wickedness? And the program that the Bible gives us well is that we're to overcome evil with good. We're to be good towards those who are evil towards us. We're to minister to them, even in tangible ways. We're not to trade blow for blow with them. We're not to indulge the passions of rage or cruelty or the tactics that are so often levied against us. We're to respond in meekness. Now, this is a hard thing. It's a hard thing. Because we want to respond in and through the flesh. Brothers and sisters, let me just say, when you respond this way, you are like your Savior. You are like your Savior. That's my third and final question this morning. How does Jesus model meekness? How does he model meekness? You know, when we consider the ministry of Jesus in the Gospels, one of the things that's quickly presented to us is that he is the model of meekness. We find, for instance, in Matthew chapter 11, 29, him describing himself in those terms. He says, take my yoke upon me and learn from me, for I am gentle. I am gentle. It's the word for meek. I am meek and lowly of heart. Matthew chapter 21, verse 5, Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, humble. It's the very same word in the Greek. Meek. On the full of a donkey. Jesus is meek in all the ways that we've described it. Just a little bit of reflection, I think, bears this out as we think about the ministry of our Savior. He endures evil done to him, seemingly ceaselessly. 
You ever think about this? The Holy One of Israel takes flesh to himself, comes to the earth, and receives nothing but opposition and ridicule and mockery and derision. The hands of wicked men. And he never, he never acts in anger back at them. He never lashes out in revenge. He never does it. Isaiah, who saw the ministry of our Savior so very clearly beforehand, he says in Isaiah 53, verse 7, he was oppressed, he was afflicted, he opened not his mouth. He bore it. He bore the torrent of abuse. This is a remarkable thing in the ministry of Jesus. Even though he's Yahweh, he was called vile things. He was told to his face that he was the prince of demons. Though he had come there to defeat demons. He was told by his relatives that he had gone mad. That he was insane. And he bore it. He was betrayed by one of his disciples, denied by another, his closest friend, and he bore it. He was mocked and he was derided and he was beaten and he was scorned in the lead up to a painful death at the hands of wicked men who accused him falsely and lied about him in order to put him to death slowly by, by torture. And at any given moment, he could have called upon the host of heaven to come down and destroy mankind and bring an end to it. And at every turn, he bore it with gentleness. He bore it with gentleness. He didn't just do that towards men in that day. So many ways he's done that to each of us. You know, we, we were once enemies of Jesus Christ, sold under the passions of our former way, sinners against God, rebellious against him, having no thought towards him. That is what we were born into. That is who we are in Adam. He's rebellious towards our Savior, and yet... He does not pay, he does not give us according to our sins, according to what we deserve. He is ceaselessly merciful to endure our rebellion. Perhaps that's you this morning. Perhaps you've refused the offer of the gospel, the gift of Christ's love on your behalf. You've rebelled against him. You've run from him. You've indulged your own desires, your own sin. And you have spit on the love of Christ as it's extended in the gospel. I want to say, right now, the Lord is merciful to you. You're here. He's not destroyed you. He's caused the sun to rise upon you and the rain to fall upon you. He's been kind to you in ways that you do not deserve it. Be patient with you. Be patient with you. 
He has just cause at any given moment to destroy us who sin in this way. But you know what we find in Jesus? We find nothing but gentleness towards us. So he does not repay us according to our sins. Some of us, we need to hear this. We need to remember our Savior's gentleness. Some of us may walk into church on Sunday morning. Just a clear sense of the burden of our sins. We've sinned. We've sinned again. Like we did last week and the week before. We keep sinning. And we keep wondering... As we come to church and we come into the presence of God, is he, is he merciful? Does he have mercy for me? Isaiah says that a bruised reed he will not break. Faintly burning wick he will not quench. You see, no matter how much evil we manage conduct against Jesus his way his program set forth in the Bible is consistently to overcome our evil with his good that is his way to not answer it anger for anger to not destroy us in the face of our brash insolence but to overcome our evil with his good Brothers and sisters, that's what he did when he endured torrents of abuse, the wickedness of men, the very men he came to save. And when our Lord Jesus died on the cross and rose again for our good, when he came to men like Paul who had murdered his followers, and he took men like Paul and he transformed them on the spot and made them his friends by demanding nothing from them but faith in him, to trust in him as, the, as their savior. He was so very gentle. He has been so very gentle. Poor sinners like you and me. So believe in Jesus. You want to know Jesus will forgive you. He's given you this great kindness. He's preserved you thus far. He's already treated you so gently. So repent of your sins and believe in him. Amen. Let's pray together. Mothers, we consider your gentleness. The fact that at any given moment you could utterly wipe us out and you would be just to do so. We thank you. Thank you for the salvation that we have in Jesus Christ. Thank you for the meekness of our Savior. Pray that we would be made more and more like him. 
that we might repay every evil with good. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.